Hello everyone, I'm your host Luke, and this is my co-host... Rod, how's it going everyone? Well, today we are doing uh, creepy stories that are down in tunnels, sewers, uh, cryptids from caves, just anything underground. Um, just creepy stories of that sort of nature. Yeah, par paranormal um, ghosts and cave activity, you know, like cryptids and ghosts and stuff, so, yeah. Yeah, so, um, here's the, here, here's ten cryptids that they know of, um, or that, that they've, people have seen inside of caves, is the Tushiko, it's a, uh, located in the deep mountains of western Japan, the Tushiko is a creature sighted out of Japan's folklore resembling a thick-bodied snake that grows several feet in length, about a meter. Tushikos are believed to inhabit watery caves of uh, Shinkoku and ha Hanashu. Um, they're sighted in rivers and streams that crisscross the mountains, but most sightings are only a glimpse before the creature darts back into the depths. Descriptions may vary. Um, most witnesses... Uh, report many of the same features, large plate-like scales, a black tongue, small horns growing on the side of its head, the ability to leap more than a meter at a time, and perhaps the most unusual feature of all, a variety of vocal noises that range from squeaking like a mouse to mimicking the human voice. To top it all off, Toshikos are supposed to have fangs capable of uh, shooting venom at their attackers. The town of Mikas uh, claims to have captured one, but they haven't taken any steps to verify its authenticity, so it remains encrypted for the time being. Number nine, the Sharif. According to legend, the Sharif is a beast made out of fire and rock that lives in the volcanoes of Chile. Twelve feet tall, shaped uh, like a vaguely reptilian human, the Sharif of myth is believed to be an actual creature, one that is involved, evolved to withstand the normally lethal temperatures of, of a volcano, much like tapeworms that cluster around volcano vents at the seafloor, basking in temperatures passing 750 degrees Fahrenheit. Other, other people believe while the Sharif cryptid does not actually live inside volcanoes, it lives around volcanic regions, which lead to the connection to, mytho to the mythological beast. In the uh, Machup myth, the Sharif was responsible for volcanic eruptions and could be placid, placed with a virgin sacrifice. Pacified. Uh, so number eight. No, it's uh, placid. P-L-A-C-A-T-E-D. Oh. Hmm. Um, Groot slang. In northern Cape province of South Africa is an arid, mountainous wasteland called the Rechtvel, um, where in this vast desert is where the locals refer to as the bottomless pit. A massive cave system that has never been fully explored. At night, a cryptid uh, known as the Groot Slang is supposed, is supposed to emerge from the cave and lure prey back into its lair. Shaped like a monstrous elephant with the tail of a snake, the Groot Slang feeds on trespassers and fiercely guards a stash of thousands of diamonds and gemstones. The most popular story about the Groot Slang... That kind of sounds like a dragon. <laughs> the most uh, popular story of the Groot Slang comes from the escapades of British explorer Peter Grayson. In 1917, lured by the stones, the stories of diamonds in the bottomless pit, Grayson took a small team of men to find the caves. On the journey to the caves, uh, tragedy struck. Two of his men were killed by a lion, one was bitten by a venomous snake, and another became sick. The final two 
Members carried him back to the nearest town, leaving Grayson alone to continue his quest. He was never heard from again. The locals came to believe that he had been killed by the Groot Slang. Modern sightings of the beasts suggest it might be a massive python. Witnesses claim that they have seen an animal resembling a snake, but 50 feet or 15 meters long. Another witness claims to have found mysterious footprints in a meter wide uh, that eventually disappear at the water river's edge. Number seven, the Jabba Foya. Fofoy. Jabba Fofoy. Stories of giant spiders come from all over the world, but most famous one is the Jabba Fofoy, a massive arachnid that's believed to live deep down in the African Congo. The largest known spider is a Goliath spider with a leg span of 14 inches. That's enough to make a grown man shiver, but the Jabba Fofoy is supposed to be several times that size at 4 foot or 122 centimeter leg span in most cases, and 8 feet according to at least one report. According to the tribe of pygmy indigenous to the region, the spiders will spin large circular webs at the ground level, crouch in the middle of them, eating birds, rodents, even the forest antelopes. Other stories say spiders dig holes in the ground with a hinged trap door, like a, a Sensei spider. The stories aren't centralized in one region. Similar stories have come from tribes in Uganda uh, to the east and uh, Central African Republic to the north. Tales of giant spider cryptids are, are, are not specific to Africa either. In 2011, a filmmaker named Richard uh, Terry was told of a four-foot-wide spider living in deep holes in the Amazon jungle. Number six, this is the one Luke is really familiar with, reptilians. Um, what did you say, Luke? Oh, God. Okay, so we're, we're, we're going to preface that one with a short... I, I, I might joke about, you know, reptilians and whatnot throughout, you know, various podcast episodes, but I personally do not believe the reptilians exist. So I'm just prefacing this, like, I don't think that there's a, that they're, you know, like the queen of England is a shape-shifting reptilian or you know, Justin Bieber is a reptilian. I just think it's a funny, I guess, meme. I, I will you kind of explain it like that, Jared? Or what? Yeah, you kind of joke more about it than you do actually believe it. Yeah, I mean, like, you know, I believe in the greys or the insectoids or, you know, Nordic aliens or whatever. But, you know, like, I, I draw the line at reptilians living underground that you know have been there for hundreds of thousands of years or whatever so anyways continue jared yeah yeah yeah. if david lick is to be believed daily and reptilians are shape-shifting humanoid lizards from space that have infiltrated the top levels of government and are even now impersonating our world leaders dick cheney uh, as well as george bush and barack obama have been called reptilians while reptilians are able to change their shapes to resemble humans, conspiracists also believe they have a vast underground civilization. One eyewitness reports a subterranean encounter in 1995 with a group of cavers in Missouri. This creature was not a man and stood about seven feet and had a brown, scaly skin. The face and head were shaped like a human with a flat nose, but there's no ears or hair. It also had a massive four to five foot tail that... Uh, tapered, uh, uh, tapered to a point, is dressed in gold me- uh, metallic outfit with long pants and shoes. Other people have since claimed that running across strange reptilian creatures in caves, one person supposedly managed to take a picture of 
the creature. Yeah, can 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 I add on to it too? Yeah, go for it. Because <laughs> this is my bread and butter, so I might as well chip in. Oh yeah, go. Um. Okay, so like one um thing that I think we'll do another episode on is uh one of the main uh reptilian uh I guess sources of information is uh you know the Dolce base um I guess installation uh that was brought forward by a anonymous guy that was interviewed and you know he uh you know refused to i i, I don't think he gave out his name another one is um what's his name it's david ick yeah he um he's yeah, that was the guy they mentioned in this article too yeah i c k e or something um, yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, it's just the, to, to me, it's like tied to, you know, like the Illuminati or, um, you know, things like that where they're like, you know, it's, uh, <laughs> um, you know, they're controlling the world through secret means or whatever and you know they're evil and you know if you, you could look for certain ways that people act to know if they're a reptilian or you know their their eyes are you know can suddenly shift to like a you know a reptilian eye you know just it's a very it, it to me it's kind of all over the place. I I don't know, but um, yeah. What? Yeah, they they are all over the place. Yeah, <laughs> I mean to me it's fun just to I guess not research, but um, well you know I I guess you can research it. Uh, there, yeah. But to me it's a separate phenomenon than the. Alien phenomenon. Oh, I, one, one other thing I forgot to mention is there's another theory that a group of dinosaurs survived, you know, like the extinction event, Jared. And like they were driven underground and they evolved sentience. And that's one way of explaining where the uh, reptilians came from. See, that one makes more sense to me. <laughs> I mean, none of them really makes sense. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was about to say, that. I, <laughs> I want to be very clear on this. We are not endorsing the reptilian conspiracy theory. I all mean, right, for, for all I know, Kelsey's a reptilian, but besides that, I'm pretty sure no one else is. So, yeah. Possibly, possibly. Yeah. Um, so, number five, Melonhead. In the northern United States, specifically rural areas throughout Ohio and Michigan, a small creature with an elongated head called the Melonheads have been reportedly attacking people from the woods, according to these stories, which are all eerily similar. 
the melon heads were once orphans with a hydroephicolutes in a condition in which fluid builds up in the skull and who live in an insane asylum. Through various circumstances escaping from the asylum, murdering their doctor, becoming cannibals after the asylum burned down, those children turned feral and took in, uh, to living in a system of underground caves deep in the woods. What is interesting that is that the reports have come from vastly different geological, uh, geographic regions um, around, uh, across state borders, and the legend in each state began some version of the version of the asylum story. There are a dozen of reports from people who claim to have been attacked by the band of small misshapen creatures with bulbous heads. Oh, that was interesting. I, I've, is, I, I've never heard of that. Yeah, melon heads. That's interesting. The Minhoka. Uh, the Minhoka <laughs> is a giant earthworm. I know I'm mispronouncing that probably, more than likely. Um, it's a giant earthworm that's rum- rumored to live in the Amazonian jungle. While the, earth, earth, uh, while the word earthworm may not exactly be nightmare fuel, the giant in this case truly means giant. The Minhoko um, is supposed to... It's supposed to be somewhere close to 75 feet long, 23 meters, much larger than the deadly carnivorous worms from the Tremor tri- film trilogy. Much like those movie monsters, the Minococo uh, bur- burrows through the earth and attacks from below, leaving giant tunnels in its wake. Reports of collapsed homes have been blamed on the Minococo, along with the mysterious disappearance of cattle. According to Carl Schucker, cryptozoologist, the Minococo, if it exists, is more likely a calicine than an earthworm. A calicines are amphibians that, uh, amphibians that resemble overgrown worms, except for the fact that they have eyes and teeth. People who claim to have seen the Minococo says that it has massive teeth, black skin covered in scales, two tentacles protruding from its head, and there haven't been any Minococo sightings for over 100 years. So if there was an enormous underground worm looking under the Amazon at some point, it probably would be dead by now. This one is really cool too. I, I I I haven't heard of that one. You, you said it's where? Uh, the Minococo. Uh, it's Amazon Amazon rainforest Amazon jungle. Oh okay. I I thought you had said uh the Congo, but yeah. No, that was in the previous. Uh, that was in the two stories ago. The red. Uh, three stories ago. That was the um job four fee, the spiders. Yeah, I, I, I think you mean like the, yeah, I, I, long, long story short, I think on my old YouTube channel, I covered that giant spider because you're, it, wasn't it like man-sized or something? It was like 14 feet wide or something. Like right, right. Uh, they, uh, four foot wide leg span in most cases and eight feet in some reported cases yeah but uh yeah they're pretty big what what's the next next one the oltiu uh o-l-i-t-i-a-u i yeah i I wouldn't know how to pronounce that often described as a cave demon the oltiu is an elusive giant bat with a wingspan of 12 feet a black body blood red wings two-inch serrated teeth. There are stories of these bats from local tribes in the forests of the Cameroonian, uh, Cameroon in Western Africa. But the first story to reach the Western world came from a biologist, Ivan T. Sanderson, in 1932. Sanderson was studying hammerhead boot, uh, fruit bats, another large bat species, when he was attacked by the largest bat he'd ever seen. With a wingspan more than four times as large as a hammerhead 
heads bats. Uh, when Sanderson reported his encounter to the native guides he was with, they became excited and attributed it to what they call the Oltihu, uh, which is a combination of the words Ul and Nita, or, or Nia, uh, N-T-Y-A, um, which they named after a type of ceremonial mask that was covered, carved in the shape of a demon. According to them, the Oltihu uh, leaves the new, nearby caves and comes out at night to feed. There have been no other sightings reported. Interesting. And here's another big bat, uh, the Ahul. Yeah, the... H. The Ahul. Ahul. I think we've talked about this one before. Yeah. While we're on the topic of giant bat cryptids, we have to mention the Ahul, which has been sighted several times in the lava rainforests in Indonesia. Like the Ahutihu, uh, the Ahul is a massive reported... Uh, is massive, reported to have a 10-foot wingspan, giant claws at the end of its forearms. The Ahul was first documented in 1925 by a naturalist named Dr. Ernest Bartels, who watches watched the giant bat emerge from behind a waterfall towards dusk. He named it based on its distinctive cry along Ahu as it flew over. Two years later, Bartel heard the creature again. He pulled together a searching party and rushed out to the jungle to find it. It's been suggested that the Ahul is really a large owl, but everyone who saw it uh, claims that it was definitely a bat-like creature, not a bird. Other theories are that it's a flying primate, even a living uh, ter- uh, pterosaur. I, I, I think it's a, a, I think it's a relative of bat squatch. Maybe, maybe. Even a living <laughs> uh, pterosaur that managed to remain secluded from the world deep in the, in the nearly impenetrable India, uh, Indonesian rainforest. And here's another really interesting, weird-looking guy. This dude's weird-looking. Tazu Worm. The Tazu Worm is the most famous European cryptid, a lizard-like animal that looks something like a dragon, but with a row of spiked ridges running down its back and a cat-shaped head. The first ever sighting of the Tazu Worm was in 1779, when a man claimed that the creature jumped out in front of him, scaring him so badly he had a fatal heart attack. How he reported the story after dying is anybody's guess. Wait, he, so he had a heart attack and then died and then uh, reported the story. Yeah, apparently. I don't what, know what happened there. What a trooper. I know, right? What a beast. More and more people have begun seeing the tuzzle worm throughout the 19th and 20th centuries. Providing similar reports in most cases, the animal was about seven feet long with razor teeth, a short neck, a short blunt tail. Some people even say the tuzzle worm bit them. In Germany, the cryptid is named the Solenworm, which means worm that lives in holes because it's believed to hibernate in mountain caves during the winter. Most recent sighting was in 2009 when a research assistant near the border of Switzerland and Italy claims he saw, saw it running on two legs like a prehistoric philosopher. Is it real? What do you think? You may never know. <laughs> never know. All right, so I have uh, 17 creepy true stories, but I will pass it back to Luke. And then uh, when it passes it back to me, I will start reading some of these true creepy stories from caves and tunnels. Okay, so I've got a good number of them. So my first, uh, I guess, cave cryptid, or I guess it's more like a... Maybe it's like more a fairy or a fay, but it's called a knocker, a BWCA, that's in Welsh, a bucca in Cornish, or a tommy knocker, 
that was a British spirit of the underground, which is thought to have originated in Wells and branch out to other areas such as Cornwall, which I don't know where that is, but whatever. Um, so according to Cornish folklore, the knocker was a helpful spirit of a previous fatality in the tin mines. A knocker is about two feet high, has a disproportionately large head, long beard, and weathered, wrinkled skin. So, you know, I kind of think of like a, you know, like a dwarf from a, what, um, Lord of the Rings or something? I, I don't know. Yeah. But he's like a miner, which is awesome. Um, miner, miner, 49er. Their long arms also almost touch the ground, and they imitate the miner's clothes and dress and carry such things as pickaxes and lamps. Miners knew the knockers well, but opinions on their intentions differed. Some believe the knocking on the cave walls caused by knockers were attempts to break down the walls. Others think that the knocks were directions on where to dig. And others still think that the knocks were warnings of an impending cave collapse. Knockers were said to be mischievous. At their best, they hid tools and took candles. At the worst, they set the tunnels on fire, which... How, how do you set a cave tunnel on fire unless you, like... What, you, like, had spilled lantern oil or something? Yeah, apparently. I'm not sure. That, that'd be a not sure how that that'd be happen. a terrible way to die. Wow. Um, <laughs> other well known. Yeah, I know. And then you'd burn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Other well known variants of knockers are the Tommy knockers brought over to America by Cornish miners um, in the 17 and 1800s. Welsh miners brought the tails. Um, of the knockers over to North America. The tales of the knockers' mischief or sometimes warnings in America were still told in the 20th century. Although not originally from North America, the knockers um, traveled to the New World with the people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so they also are said to give out helpful warnings of deadly gas or a mine caving in. While they are known to help miners, they are also known to be mischievous, pulling pranks and tricks, but never meaning any harm. Um, they were given the name knockers due to the knocks they sent through the mines to warn miners, or in some cases, cause a cave-in. Um, I've looked into these somewhat. I don't think there's any, like, reported sightings of these, actually, of these, I guess, creatures. I mean, like, like if you were in a cave, wouldn't you just see like an outline of them, maybe? If oh, anything, it's pitch black in caves. It depends on where the lighting is at, but it's pitch yeah. black if you're I, exploring. I, okay, here's a question: Have you ever gone spelunking, Jared? A guided tour of it, yeah. Yeah, I think my brother's done it a couple times, but um, I, I've, I've tried some. I mean, like, I've only been to the Cave of the Winds, but besides that. Um, Nothing. Did you do the, the regular tour or did yeah. you do this creepy, scary tour? I I was a kid, so I think I just did the guided normal tour. Um, oh yeah, we're gonna we're gonna have to go do the scary tour. That one's really good. <laughs> um. So. If anyone angers a knocker, they can go from mischief makers to 
to dangerous creatures who will harm people if provoked. Um, wow. So they're also invisible and they can only be heard and are rarely seen. Um, but when well, they, that explains, that, that, ex Sorry, that explains it. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. But when they make themselves noticed, they appear in the form of a goblin. <laughs> Interesting. Um, okay, so I found a um, ancient leg legend about giants in about cave giants in Nevada. So, uh, are you ready for this one, Gerard? Yes, sir. So these are the giants of Luck. Love Lock Cave, Nevada. According to an ancient legend, North America was once inhabited by a race of giants that were much taller and stronger than the average man. These giants, a red-haired tribe of cannibals known as the Ka, spelled S-I-T-E-C-A-H. I'll probably have to come back to giant ancient giants in America often harassed the Paiute tribe with war and captured their victims to eat. After many years of conflict, the Paiute tribes banded together to destroy the Sitekha. As the battle went on, the last of the red-haired giants were chased into a cave by the Paiutes. They demanded the giants to come out immediately, but they refused. As a form of retaliation, the Paiutes set the cave on fire with flaming arrows, suffocating and burning them alive, which, you know, I guess we were just talking about, but I I, I didn't know that that was, <laughs> that was part of the story. <laughs> um, so, fast forward to modern day. Because of an earthquake... This cave's entrance eventually collapsed, leaving it only accessible to bats. These bats produce an abundance of bat guano, a valuable ingredient in gunpowder. This guano discovery led many humans back to Lovelock Cave, also known as Bat Cave, Horseshoe Cave, Sunset Guano Cave, and Indian Cave. Lovelock Cave is located approximately 25, or 20 miles south of Lovelock, Nevada. Have you ever been to Nevada? Just Las Vegas with you. Oh. Yeah. I've driven through several times. Okay. So. Yeah, I, we we need to drive down there once, not not just fly. Yeah, it's a long drive, but and there's really not much to see. But we could do it. Well, really I mean, drive to Vegas. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, but anyways. Um, in 1911, the Sunset Guano Mining Company was formed specifically to mine the guano, which I guess makes sense by their name. During the mining process, several artifacts were discovered, including bones, baskets, and weapons. In 1924, archaeologists were notified of these artifacts. And even though several of them had either been lost or destroyed, more than 10,000 of these were successfully recovered. Two of these successfully recovered artifacts include a male and female mummified red-haired giant. The male giant measured 8 feet tall and the female giant measured 6.5 feet tall. The remains of the red-haired giants were not only discovered inside Lovelock Cave, 
1931, two giant skeletons were found near Lovelock, Nevada, in the Humboldt Dry Lake Bed. One of the skeletons measured 8.5 feet tall, and the other measured nearly 10 feet tall. In 1939, another giant skeleton was discovered at Friedman Ranch, which I've heard of. Um, hmm. Measuring seven feet, seven inches tall. So, yeah. So I have a, I have a skinwalker sighting in St. Louis, but it's like in a tunnel. So that's interesting. Can I do that one of them? I'll kick it back to you. Yeah. Okay. Um. So here's a terror underground. Wait, 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 wait. Can Can I read it and then I'll kick it to you? Okay. Sorry, I thought you were kicking it over to me right away. Oh, okay. Go for it. So this was posted in r slash cryptids, a sighting in St. Louis Metro East uh, four months ago. Last year on Saturday, June 27th, uh, da, 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 my friends wanted me to come pick them up, go to McDonald's in the nearest town, and then drive around on country roads. Because of da da da, I had my mom walk me outside to my car, and I had my dad watch out through the window to make sure my mom was safe going back into the house. Uh, da, 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 da. I picked up my friends, went to McDonald's, and started riding around country roads. This is something we did often because there's not much to do in our village in St. Louis Metro East. We were coming back into town sometime between midnight and 1 a.m., and we noticed the moon appeared red. We started talking about it, and we began arguing about what effects a red moon has on people. Just as we started getting loud, we saw a creature on the side of the road. Okay, I thought it was in a tunnel, whatever. It seemed to be humanoid, but its forearms were much longer than its upper arms. It was very pale, almost grayish in color with no hair. The fingers were long, very long and pointy, maybe claws. It also appeared to be very malnourished, so it's a skinwalker. Um, <laughs> or a wendigo, I don't know. We could see its rib cage is crouched down next to a telephone pole, but just as we were coming back into town, I slammed on the brakes, turned on my brights to get a better look at it. It looked at us and then zoomed up the pole faster than what should be physically possible. It was like a beam of light. We all went silent and started discussing what we had just seen. We all agreed that we had seen the same thing. All of our descriptions were the same. Um... Just up the road I was the friend's house we were going to. They had to run in to grab some stuff, so I stayed in the car with the doors locked and my eyes closed. Because that's going to protect you. When they came back outside, we backed out of the driveway to head to my house. And we saw it behind us, standing in the middle of the road, looking at us. My house is only a couple blocks away, so when we got there, we ran inside as fast as we could. Uh, we locked the doors and stayed at my house for a while before I eventually gave them a ride back uh, to his house a couple hours later. I, he goes on to end it with, I do not have any pictures, sadly. <laughs> Madness. Yeah. <laughs> okay, uh, it's your turn. 
suddenly I realized there's someone there right in front of me inches from my face. There's an abandoned, boarded up World War II fort in the southern parts of Belgium. We often sneak in into with the scouts. Getting in there requires uh, scaling a sheer wall where we've placed anchoring points for ropes and climbing gear. Next to a relatively busy road, uh, so you're being super quiet, making no light, and cowering every time a car passes by so he doesn't spot you with his lights. The atmosphere is set. The moment you enter, it's like diving into water. Sound stops. The entire place is constant 14 degrees Celsius with a slight breeze passing through. Uh, the tunnel is barely large enough for me, slightly broader than the average person, to pass through without turning my body sideways. The tunnel is just high enough to work up a decent gate while hunched over. As someone ahead of you blocks the passage for a moment, the breeze stops and it feels like the entire tunnel network takes a breath. Because of the way the tunnels are constructed, they echo in such a way that your own footsteps seem to be coming from behind you. They also seem to take one more step than you do when you stop. Of course, we don't allow the guys and gals to take any source of light in there, so it's pretty scary overall. So I'm in there, posted aside, uh, posted out a side passage to ensure everyone takes the same path and don't get and does not get lost. I go in first before any of the climbers arrive, so they won't know there are friendly faces in there helping them. I'm in there for a while, just waiting for the first to come by. When I see a dancing little light come down the long hallway, I quietly settle back into my nook and wait for whoever was smart enough to hide some matches and take them away. Um, the light quietly bobs closer as I realize those aren't any footsteps accompanying it. I poke my head around the corner just in time to see it disappear. I hear no footsteps still. I sit, I settle back and wait some more. Then I realize I do hear some scuffling, very faint breathing noises, but still very faint. I became aware of a wet heat coming from right in front of me with the faint smell of a person. Sweat? Dirt? I suddenly realize there's someone right there, right in front of me, inches from my face. The breathing stops. Suddenly, whatever it takes is aware of me as well. Uh, whatever or whoever it is, we're both holding our breath, uh, both acutely aware of each other. It takes ages. I'm sitting there, unable to move, speak, or breathe properly. The wet heat passes, and some minutes later, I become aware of this very faint light coming from my right side, which soon dissipates and leaves. Some time later, I hear the familiar stomping of combat boots coming down the hallway from my left. I stop the person and tell them to keep following the passage and take the first right they come to. Out of curiosity, I asked who went first. No one. He went in first. It, it explained so much later. The first guy got lost down a dead-end side passage, and the second girl passed by him. She got nervous from the footsteps and moved, removed her shoes. She saw me poke my head out from around the corner and dropped the match. She passed me very slowly. One of the later checkpoints, she was crying her eyes out. Oh, so it turned out it was, one of the, it was a different person that got lost, and they heard him, um, and they took their shoes off to be silent. Oh, that's interesting. Do you have another story, Luke, or can I read my second one? It's up to you. Um, yeah, I mean, it's like a... It's a somewhat longer one. Um, Go for it. Okay. Okay, so this is another one. Uh, the Caverns of Colossal Cave. Um, just a few miles south of Tucson lies Colossal Cave. An often overlooked natural landmark with uh, well over a thousand years of history. The roofs of the caves are blackened from centuries of Native American bonfires and ceremonies. The bones of humans and animal remains uh, litter the ground. With no flowing water, the cave is no longer actively growing, but the ghosts and spirits in colossal caves 
are alive and kicking. Uh, at least four different ghosts live in the cave system. Uh, the most encountered ghost is that of Frank Schmidt, one of the early developers of the cave. He tends to accompany visitors to the caves to ensure they don't stray too far from the beaten path. Frank was always smoking, and the smell of smoke filters the caves when he appears. He's often seen in restricted areas and vanishes into thin air before being seen by anyone. A group of train robbers use the caves to hide after hitting a big score in the late 1800s. After being traced to the caves by authorities, a shootout ensued. A few of the bandits were killed while others were caught, but the money was never recovered. The Wells Fargo stamp bags are still said to be somewhere in Colossal Cave, and the ghosts of the dead train robbers have been seen wandering around the caves looking for their lost loot. Uh, another one is the ghost of a Native American woman that can be heard moaning and sobbing around the caves, and a ghost of a lady in white um, seen floating around the entrance. So we're going to pre-contact, um, pre-European contact. So over a thousand years ago, around 900 AD, the colossal caves were discovered by local indigenous people. The Hoho Kam, the Sobai Puri, and the Apache tribes all used the caves for various purposes, including ceremonies, rituals, and protection from the elements, as well as other tribes. Some say that they may have even lived in the caves. Uh, the ceilings in some areas are blackened from centuries of bonfires and bones that are straddled along the floors of the caves. Many of them have been removed, but early European settlers claimed to have found hundreds of antlers piled in scythe. There were also human remains littered across the cave floor, and the Native Americans evacuated the caves around the times of European conquest, sometime between 1450 and 1600. Um, so now we go to the bandits of the Southern Pacific Express. So these are the ones that were the train robbers and they hid in the cave. So this is a cool story. Um, sometime in the 1880s, a group of train robbers discovered the cave and decided that it would be a good place to set up their base of operations. The Southern Pacific Express Railroad wasn't too far off. The colossal cave provided protection from the authorities. Their first heist was a success. They got away with over $3,000 in straight cash, and the bandits wanted to try their luck again. The second robbery netted the bandits a ton of gold and silver Mexican coins. So, I guess fast forward to today, that $3,000 in cash would be worthless, right? Twelve thousand dollars in cash. Three thousand from Three thousand from uh, eighteen eighty. Yeah, if it's just sitting out there, it's probably worthless. By now. Yeah, uh, but you know, if you found the all the gold and coin silver coins that they stole, I mean, that would be worth something. Um, yeah, that definitely would be. So after the second heist, the local authorities had caught wind of the bandits. They got a tip that the robbers could be hiding out in the cave system near the Mountain Springs Ranch. They sprung into action. They surrounded the cave and found the bandits upon entry. After a lengthy shootout, two of the bandits were killed while the others escaped. Which, how did they escape from the caves? I guess they hadn't mapped them out or something. Uh, the stolen goods were never recovered from the caves. 
Local legend says that the loot is still somewhere in the cave, hidden among the complex maze of stalactites and deep crevasses. Uh, the money and coins they stole were said to be stashed in Wells Fargo stamp bags, and as of yet, no one has found the bags. The ghosts of the bank robbers who were shot dead in the shootout are said to still haunt the colossal caves. Visitors and staffs have seen the shadows of men in cowboy gear wandering around who then disappear into thin air. Some say it's actually the ghost of Frank Schmidt, but those who are familiar with the cave and its ghosts say that Frank has a much friendlier vibe. Supposedly the ghost bandits are still in the cave guarding their precious loot. Um... And then this is the uh, other three ghosts that people see. So Frank Schmidt. Frank was one of the early developers of the cave, and he apparently still hangs out there in the afterlife. Frank often follows tour groups as they walk through the cave, and you know when he's around because the smell of tobacco fills the air. Turns out that Frank was quite the smoker. A few guests have seen Frank hanging around the behind the tour group smoking a pipe before suddenly disappearing. Staff have seen Frank hanging in restricted areas or walking around the caves after closing time. He usually vanishes when the staff try to chase him down. Back when the caves were still used by Native Americans, a woman from a local tribe was being chased by a bear. She ran towards the caves in an attempt to find safety. In those days, the entrance to the cave had a steep 20-foot cliff. The woman ran into the cave without minding the drop and sadly died. Her ghost is still often heard moaning and crying, scaring many of the guests. A few of the staff believe that her moans are actually the sound of the wind blowing through the cave, but her cries have also been heard on days when there are no strong winds. Due to the street drop at the entrance, park staff have long since changed the public entry point into the colossal cave to protect the safety of the guests. And then the ghost of a woman in an all-white dress is often seen near the entrance of the cave as if acting as the cave's guardian. Though it's been a few years since she last appeared, because she seems to appear near the cave entrance, some sh say she may actually be the apparition of the Native American woman who fell to her uh, demise. Some centuries ago, staff say that two young Native American boys died while exploring the cave. They say that the ghosts of the two boys still roam around the cave. Their apparitions have yet to be seen, but ghost hunters have picked up EVPs, which I believe are electrical voice phenomenon. Uh, EVPs, yeah, electrical voice phenomenon. Yeah, that sounds right. And audio recordings in the area where they were said to have died. Many guests have also reported having their phones and cameras function, malfunction in that area as well. <laughs> Okay, uh, your turn. Sounds good. There are skulls from small animals everywhere in there, and that uh, that shape in a big triangle that points to a very large dog-like skeleton. I do electrical work for a living, and I've been in old Baltimore lately and found uh, most of the buildings in Baltimore are connected by tunnels. So a few months ago, I was working on a building on East Redwood Street, pulling lights in the tunnel. Well, on day on my lunch break one day on my lunch break i decided to walk around them so i'm walking about 20 minutes when i thought i heard a foreman call me down one of the halls i assume he went to look around as well so i start walking down the hall and it starts getting deeper and colder 
I start thinking about turning around because I don't want to get lost when I hear it again, so I go a little deeper. Eventually, I hit a room about the size of a baseball court with probably 20-foot-high 20 20 ceilings. Ground is all sticky, and every step I take it sounds like I'm uh, undoing a heavy Velcro strap. There are skulls from small animals everywhere in there that shape a big triangle that point to a very large dog-like skeleton. At this point, I'm freezing and really scared. I start to smell a harsh burning smell. Hear what sounds like a dog running on concrete. I could hear it get louder and closer, louder and closer. I start running like I have never ran in my life. Finally, after what I felt was like an hour of running, I'm at full sprint. I run into a staircase with a big heavy metal door at the end of it. I hear the noises now like they're right around the corner. So with all my might and adrenaline-fueled strength, I rip the door open and slam it behind me, and then I hear and feel a hard thud against the door. I turn around to see that I'm standing under the docks by the Four Seasons at the Marriott Hotel. I call my boss and tell him I got lost in the tunnels and I need to be picked up. Since that day, I refuse to go in the tunnels under Baltimore or go in any uh, sub-basements uh, in Baltimore. Ooh, that one's creepy. And so I have this third one as well. A music box was playing in an underground tunnel. I went uh, went exploring with a bunch of friends at the Trans-Agheny Lunatic Asylum. Wow, that was difficult for me to say. While the, this is not underground in its entirety, portions of it are. The building uh, were left with the hospital equipment, bed, books, patient files, literally everything. It's eerie, as if a zombie apocalypse occurred and everyone left. It operated from 1864 to 1994. The facility was self-sustaining. The patients uh, farmed the land and had all the resources on campus. This year, uh, the, the year this was open, a lot of horror stories came out of this place. This wasn't a modern-day psychiatric ward, more like a prison where families paid a lot of money to hide their mentally ill or put the state, uh, in, uh, put, or the state put undesirables. There's an underground network of tunnels or underground network that was heavily blocked off with chains. However, the main building was easily accessible by the access ways to the underground were blocked off inside as well. Every time we got near one of the underground tunnel systems, we could hear faint music playing. It sounded like a music box playing. We found a bent wire gate and attempted to file in. The music got louder and louder. We were all pretty freaked out. Uh, we were all promptly arrested before attempting to go into the tunnels. There's a lot of the speculation about the tunnels still to this day. The new owner says he was afraid of asbestos and was fearing for our safety. He was very grim. He agreed to, he agreed to drop charges if we never went back. We ha happily obliged. Still, I sometimes think of my interactions there, all of the remnants left behind, and get, still get severely creeped out. That's a good one. All right, Luke, do you got anything else? Because we're probably uh, nearing the hour mark now. We're at 47. Um, yeah. Close. I, I have one more. Um, okay, sounds good. This is the legend of Old Man's Cave. Um. <laughs> uh this is a popular destination in Hawking Hills. Uh, over the years, people camping in the vicinity have reported seeing the eerily, eerie baying of a hound that is said to be the trusted companion of the cave's namesake, Richard Rowe. Rowe was a trapper who lived along the banks of the Ohio River with his father and brother during the late latter part of the 18th century. When he was in his late 20s, 
The War of 1812 began, and the young man decided a reclusive and peaceful life was more his speed, so he packed up his things and headed for his favorite cave. From this point on, he spent nearly all his life in the overhang, um, now known as Old Man's Cave, with only his dogs and rifle to keep him coney. You know, that sounds pretty nice, actually. Like, I would love to retire with just living with like my dogs that that would be great probably in the mountains i don't know in the 1850s old hermit accidentally uh yeah uh, shot himself while using his musket shoulder stock to break through an iced over creek according to legend other trappers found his body and buried him beside his beloved dog in the sandy floor of the cave the two had called home for nearly 50 years following this incident, people avoided the recess where the solitary fellow had lived, died, and buried, fittingly referred to as the old man's cave. Eventually, though, word got out about the beauty of the gorge, and it became a, quote, must-go destination for Victorian picnics and day outings. One of the area's greatest entertainers in the early 1900s was a local man by the name of James Less. He would often serenade visitors with songs of whimsy and tell hair-raising stories of the cave's ghosts. In time, the spot garnered quite a reputation for being haunted, and as more and more tourists flocked to the cavernous valley, sightings of the old man and his hound became an almost daily occurrence. Often the Duo were observed walking along the creek's edge before stopping at a large depression in the cave floor where they would inexplicably sink into the earth. I mean, they're not hurting anyone. Following a sighting of the pair in March of 1907, one local resident claimed to have returned to the depression with a shovel and found the final resting place of the man and his dog. They also reportedly found a short biography of the dead man's life near the gravesite. Strangely, the name given in the biography was Redseer rather than Roe, and the dates cited were 50 years earlier than when the trapper lived in the cave. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, following the excavation of the old man's grave, signs of the ghost reached their peak, probably because you shouldn't dig up graves. Just saying. Uh, yeah, probably not. That's not a good idea. Yeah, it's terrible. What? <laughs> so, the spirit was appearing with a regularity that could only be achieved by a steady diet of pickles, spice, and prune juice. Uh, what? One sunny <laughs> Sunday in August of 1907. <laughs> the, so, you were drunk or what? The entity nearly made a nuisance of itself, stopping to observe four separate groups as they engaged in various forms of recreation around the cave. One woman even fainted at the sight of the specter and had to be revived with opiates. Oh my God. Her recovery was happy but sluggish. After the old man made his rounds, all watched in disbelief as he and the hound made their usual exit vanishing into the ground where their bodies were said to lie and where some dip dug them up and didn't, like, you know, like, respect the bodies and, like, rebury them. I mean, like, 
what's wrong with these people? In October yeah. of that same year, another group had an interesting encounter as they began to lay out their picnic in the cave when an old man with gray hair and a long white beard approached the party. They excitedly offered up their pickles and prune juice and men mentally mapped out how they'd tell their friends about the time they had picnicked with a ghost. Unlike previous manifestations, the phantasm actually spoke this time, choosing conversation over the food laid out before him. After a pleasant chat about interesting features of the surrounding area, the spirit excused himself, and when he began to leave the cave, using conventional means rather than eerily sinking into the ground, where his body was said to be buried, a member of the party called out to the old man and asked him his identity. Jim Les murmured the form as it ambled away on the dusty trail. So, yeah. So, it's possible that um, he, that there were, I guess, multiple people that died in that cave. And that's where their ghosts are being seen. And then I, I, I have a very short one called Lady of the Cave. <laughs> Um, so apparently this is also in Hawking Hills. Strange encounters at the park are still reported to this day, often by visitors with no prior knowledge of the cave's haunted history. For example, in 2012, a hiker on her first trip to the park was startled after she had ventured too close to a cliff's edge, and an elderly voice behind her warned, Be careful, dearie. It's a bit of a drop from here. Thinking it was her husband joking around, a cold chill overcame the woman when she turned around to discover he hadn't yet descended into the gorge and she was all alone in the cave. Uh, yeah. So, apparently... Uh, those are some of the ghosts of Hawking Hills. But uh, just for future reference, if you come across a grave, do not dig it up. That is, I hope the I idea. hope the ghost haunts you forevermore. <laughs> if you do, <laughs> the, only, the only reason why a grave should ever be dug up is if it's for forensic purposes to find a killer or something like that. Yeah, I know they do it in uh, I know they do it in other countries as well, and sometimes here in the U.S. as well when they need to uh, like um, move the cemetery and they'll literally dig up all the bodies and move them. Yeah, but uh, then they rebury the bodies like. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Whatever. They do. Whatever. Um, so, anyways, uh, thanks, guys. Uh, kind of a more um, all over the place podcast, but hey. Um, Happy holidays. Um, we're about six days out from, uh, I mean, my family celebrates Christmas. Jared's does too, but um, in these times, uh, happy holidays to whatever uh, you celebrate. And uh, hope you're having a good time around this time of year. I know it's hard for some people around this time, so 
Um, you know, we wish you guys the best. Yeah, we wish you the best and want to thank you for listening. It means a lot to me. I <laughs> like, I, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but, um, in this last two week period, this podcast, um, has been downloaded at least 161 times, which I, I never thought I would, I guess, be that, I guess, uh, popular <laughs> for lack of a better word. So I kind of cover, yeah. kind of cover topics all over the place. So, yeah. Um, and yeah, we just, we do this for our, like fun and enjoyment yeah, and talk I mean, about these stories we find. Yeah. And, uh, we're really glad you guys could come on, uh, join us on this journey and, listen to us uh, talk about different crazy stories and different creatures and stuff like that. And we hope you guys enjoy it. Yeah. And, uh, hope you guys have a good holiday once again. Uh, thanks for listening. This has been your host, Luke and my co-host. Take care guys. Gerard. Cause the audio cut out. So peace out.